Welcome to Expert Opinion, the branding business forum where leaders share their views, insights, and experiences from the world of B2B branding. And now, here's your host. Welcome to Expert Opinion. I'm Ryan Rikus, and today's show is focused on the formula for becoming a market leader and the challenge of maintaining that leadership position. Today's guest is Michael Rojas, co-founder of Iron Grip Barbell Company, the largest provider of commercial free weight equipment worldwide and the only manufacturer with a line made exclusively in the U.S. Michael, welcome to Expert Opinion. Thank you for having me. Well, I'd like our time today to focus on a couple areas. One, I think you have an incredible entrepreneurial story to tell, um, going from an idea that you had, you and your partner had in college to becoming the largest company in your category, as well as um, your decision to manufacture in the U.S. and uh, kind of buck industry trends. So why don't we begin by giving a, our listeners an overview of um, the business you've been in for over 20 years. Okay, well, we're in the um, commercial freeway business, and it's it's kind of a specialized business. Uh, it's part of a larger category, basically, which is commercial fitness equipment. Commercial meaning that it's not for retail. Uh, it's for facilities that are either selling memberships or are offering a facility as an amenity like a hotel or perhaps a, a, a school that has a high school gym. Uh, but it's, it's generally uh, considered more heavy-duty. It's a different type of equipment than you might find at retail. And we pr- we produce in that category. We produce just free weight equipment for commercial facilities. All right, cool. So the initial product design, the twelve uh, sided weight plate, I know really you know put you guys in the marketplace and um, broke out. So you've taken that same approach to um, innovation uh, from the beginning, and you still apply it. How do you go about protecting your brand and IP from your competitors? Well, when we first started, uh, we protected it in a pretty, pretty standard traditional way that most of your listeners would be aware of it with patent protection and trademark protection. Trademarks are a little more straightforward. It's typically the, just the name of the company. Uh, there's also copyright protection. We have a little bit of that, too, with names and symbols. Uh, but you don't really find that too much in, in equipment. You might find that more like in, in music or publishing. And then um, uh, patent protection. And we started out with a... Uh, several patents that we had uh, had on our product, uh, utility and design patents, and it went from there. And I think at some point you you move past design and utility patent protection into more of what's called trade trade dress protection, and that's when your product has protection just because it's been around in the marketplace a long time and it's unique and in in the best case scenario it's got an iconic design and shape that has c- kind of as is become the symbol of your company, and so thereby you get additional intellectual property protection strictly based upon your time in the market combined with that iconic look and shape. Well, I think that's the key right there. You can spend a lot of money uh, in legal fees and protecting it, but you really know you've hit a home run when you're able to do just exactly what you said, and that is um, your innovation has always been on the forefront, and you stand for something unique, and it's so clear and so perfect for the market that the competition really uh, doesn't have a chance to copy you in that sense. So maybe you can speak a little bit about how um, innovation has been a big part of your your brand and your and your marketing approach. Well, I think it's interesting because in, in our category, the, the free, free weights are the, by far the oldest 
product in in, fit, in the fitness industry, whether it's commercial or retail. They've been around longer than anything, and you can go back to Roman times. People lifted rocks or so, but I'm talking about the modern times. Uh, the uh, the industry was really first started by a company called York Barbell in 1932, and they made pretty much what was still on the market when we started in '93, a, a, a round disc that was solid that you could slide onto a bar and then you would lift. And um, so really the industry hadn't changed for 60 years, no meaningful innovation. And there was a lot of innovation to be had. And I think a lot of it was probably thought about in the, in the past, but no one had acted on it. And But when we first started, we saw right away, well, why is the plate round? Why doesn't it have grips in it? Why is is it round that it's going to roll? Why can't you pick it up easily? And there were some very simple, logical innovations that were available to what otherwise a fairly simple product to begin with that we thought should be included. We didn't understand why they weren't included, and so we looked into including them. Well, and, and it launched the brand, and uh, that still now is your logo. It, it's that the 12-sided shape is the iconic look to Iron Grip and stands out from the competition. Uh, but yet you, you've constantly... Uh, kept your brand current uh, through innovation. Uh, I, I know urethane, for example. Uh, maybe you can a little speak about about just product innovation. How you've always been able to keep a pretty, um, I guess, uh, traditional category current. Well, yeah, that, and I think that's kind of what what I what I like about what what we've done. Looking back, is that we started out and there was a way of playing. They were round and and they they were solid discs of of, of iron. And we could have just put grips in it, and they could, that could have been the end of it. Could have one or grip, one grip, and that would have been the end of it. Or even put a handle on it, like an external handle, like almost like a luggage handle. We could have put like a, a lip on it or something. But cu- cutting a grip hole out seemed the co- most common thing to do. And, and, but we could have stopped there, but we decided to put two in so they're diametrically opposed, make it a little bit easier to pick up and carry it also gave some utility to the plate. And then when we decided that, when we, when we reviewed the plate and we thought, well, Round is also a poor idea. Why would we leave it round? We decided to make it make it multi-sided. Then the opportunity for for some real interesting innovation came about because you could do it in any a number of ways. You could add one flat side so it wouldn't roll. You could add make it six-sided, which was fairly common back then to have hex product because it's readily available from steel mills and so on. But we chose twelve sides because it's close enough to round to not be too radical looking. Uh, uh, but and and it can be rolled if you needed you needed to, but it wouldn't roll accidentally. It would be much safer. And in addition, it allowed you to make a plate that was roughly the same size and thickness because you're using most of the mass of the plate. And you're not leaving a lot of of mass unused between the the points on a, a multi-sided uh, product. And so once we had decided that that was that was the best way to accomplish a change in a standard round weight plate. Then we knew we had something different because it just looked different. It looked radical. It looked, uh, it was like a it was like a showstopper, and we knew that it was going to be met with some resistance because of that. But at the same time, and this is before the internet, before viral anything was even considered viral. But this was kind of like the precursor to that. It was kind of like a viral product. You looked at it; it was so strange looking, but it was so cool looking, and it was edgy and different and forward thinking in an industry that had never been forward thinking. That had basically been. Cast iron, which is an old, old product that almost is never used anymore. It steel's pretty much used in almost everything, and it it just it just kind of changed how we even looked at it ourselves. We said we we knew we had something cool when we when we, when we designed it. We made one out of wood at first, and we played with it from there. And we decided at some point, you know, it's already angular, it's geometric, it's 
It's polygonal. Let's make the grips instead of long racetracks or ovals or arcuate designs. Let's make them elongated octagons so they kind of fit the contour of the 12-sided plate, and they're still geometric in shape, but they have the still functional utility of an elongated design. And let's make a hub that's 12-sided too so it fits the contour, the outside contours of the plate. So then the plate took on a, on a very strong polygonal, geographic, non-organic shape, but it was at the time in the, in the early '90s. It was it kind of fit the zeitgeist of the time. It was just something different and unique and edgy and modern looking, and it was just I think it was perfect for the time. And in addition, it kind of became like sort of like a viral event. It was talked about a lot. It was so strange looking, and got us a lot of attention that we'd have had to pay for. Well, let's fast forward from those days when you founded the the idea and the design. Now you are virtually in every professional sports team's locker room, weight room, college team, upscale fitness clubs around the world, military bases. How have you been able to use branding and marketing to um, establish that type of leadership? Well, I I guess that probably comes from my background before Angrip. I worked in uh, in luxury goods, luxury retail, uh, and then luxury cosmetics for a number of years and for some big brands, and one of them was Ralph Lauren. And and these these are people that, that take branding very seriously, and Ralph Lauren among them, the most serious when it comes to branding. It was very protective of his brand, and every brand extension he did, every line extension, every product innovation still fit his brand, and you knew that it was his. And so when we started to, to expand our brand and adopt a look and a feel that would fit the actual shape of the product and the innovation in, in terms of intellectual property and so on and functionality and utility, we tried to make sure that everything we did fit those same things and, and, and provided some sort of a consistency. You know, we, we started out with a, with a very professional ad agency, Rika Spared, right out of, the, out of the gate, which was unusual in our category because nobody in freeways was advertising, was marketing, was doing anything. We wanted to use professional photography, professional-looking ads, and it helped establish a look for us, which we still have right now, and it also helped establish that this was a different brand than everything else, and it was a brand that that um, looked more expensive, that, that you kind of knew was going to be more expensive, that had a lot of features and benefits you'd never seen before that allowed it to be more expensive. And, and uh, you know, I think that kind of we still carry that forward right now. It's not something that's hard to understand when you look at our product and you look at the branding that we have and you look at the features and benefits. You kind of know how everything works. You don't need to be explained a lot. You know if you, there's a hole in a plate, you're supposed to pick it up. You know if it's 12-sided, it's not going to roll. You hear that it's urethane, you know that means it's getting more durable than rubber because urethane is used in rollerblade wheels. They don't use rubber in that because it's a little more durable. So all of these things that we've done, which has been reinforced by our, our strong brand message, have kind of been consistent, but they've also been obvious innovations. We like that because we can say less in marketing materials and still get the point across. Well, yeah, you've been able to stand apart from the competition in many ways. Uh, one of those is that you're significantly more expensive than the traditional competitors. Remember you saying that you know the industry was like pennies on the pound is where they, they they bought the product, but your product was considerably different, more expensive, and now you've even taken it to the next level of actually having it made in the USA, which is more expensive than manufacturing in China, for example. Maybe you can give us an overview of why do you do it in the USA and what are the benefits? That's actually a really good question, and I've been asked that a lot. And I think when we first started, we started the company, and we did not. My partner, uh, Scott Frasco, and I did not quit our other jobs. We started it without the ability to work full-time on it, and so you had to think about, okay, well, I'm going to make a product, and I, it's going to be an, a heavy 
industrial product. It's heavily engineered. It's high commercial. You couldn't even conceive of getting something like that from China, especially in the early 90s, because the thought of working with a country that was so far and with the, with the language barriers and everything else and getting product here was just inconceivable to us as people that were still working other jobs. So we started out by default finding an American source. Um, and you start with the boutique foundry and and boutique pattern makers, and then you step up to like a light light production foundry, and then you find the heavier production foundries, and that's kind of how things started. And it really was more a function of just the the the, the nature of trying to think how would we do business in China when business in China twenty three four years ago was not as readily or easily done as it is now. So it really was a function of that. And and but we always wanted to make it in the United States because we didn't really feel like there was any need to be in China. And it was it was a product that had features and benefits other people didn't have. They were protected features and benefits. And because of that, we could charge more if we needed to. And as it turns out, we were roughly double what product was in China when we first started. We were 98 cents a pound. Everything was around 45 cents a pound, 48 cents a pound. So we were roughly double. That was, as you mentioned, Ryan, a pretty radical step and also kind of added to the viral nature of the product just, just by the fact that we're so expensive. People were talking about it. It started out that way. And as we learned more about producing in the United States, we, we thought we could produce product here in the United States with the patent protection that we had and get a foothold in the market, get market share, and then when the patent protection ran out, should have had the critical mass that we needed to continue production here and maintain um, the competitive advantage that the United States production provides and also the logistics advantage and the fulfillment advantage and all the other obvious advantages of producing product here in our backyard. Assume product quality is also a, uh, you have better quality control, and, and there are other benefits. How have you leveraged the Made in the USA to the benefit of your brand, and, and how does it resonate with your customers? Well, I think the, the best way for us to, to explain how we were leveraged is to look at how we grew, because when we started, the industry was pretty fragmented. There wasn't the kind of club chains you see now. There's really no national chains. The industry was in its infancy when we started, and it's still a very, very young industry. We looked for the places that appeared to be going quickly, the places that looked like they were becoming chains. And there was a company called Family Fitness and a company called 24 Hour Nautilus, and they merged to become 24 Hour Fitness, which is what it is right now. And we found these people early on, and these people were growing quickly, and they wanted product that was a little more heavy-duty. They wanted product that had, had the features and benefits that we offered. And they also wanted a product that was made here, so they had quick access to product, didn't have shorter turnaround times, didn't have the uncertainties of Chinese production, Chinese quality, Chinese delivery, and they wanted to make sure that they had a good supply chain um, solution. And so when we looked at the opportunities available for us business-wise, instead of going for the mom and pop, we focused on the bigger chains, and we sold those, those arguments that came along with the obvious nature of making product in the United States. And I think it was pretty well received, and as these chains grew, we were able to grow with them, and one by one, um, we basically gobbled up every outside production source for us and started producing product in-house. Uh, and along the way, we added line, line extensions, new categories, and in every case, we decided to make them here in the United States. And we went from being a sales and marketing operation to a pure manufacturing operation based upon the start we had from these merging chains. You've seen a lot of companies' competition come and go over the last 20 years, yet you guys have really stayed true to your brand yet keep it current and relevant, not trendy, but relevant and, and current. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the, how you address the shifting trends and, and make sure that your product is just that, still relevant to your target audience. That's been a challenge for us because for, I mean, I, we'd love to say we were, we were geniuses in 93, but when we designed the first plate, we kind of hit it out of the park with the design. So physically speaking, 
they can glance at the product. It did not require much of a change in terms of the design, the functionality, the features, the benefits. Pretty much how it was, how it looks right now uh, in two, you know, 2016 is pretty much how it looked in 1993. So you could look at it and say, well, there hasn't been much innovation. That's not how it appears in the industry because there has been quite a bit of innovation, and we talk about it enough that our industry is aware of it. Things as simple as changing the grips just slightly enough to keep them angular, make them more angular, and in many cases, these things also accomplish a better production times, less uh, product defects, things like that, and less cosmetic blemishes, but also moving to a urethane case play, which allowed us a lot more latitude with respect to improving the cosmetics of it. So we've been able to, even though the product has not changed dramatically in, in appearance, we've been able to do, tweak it enough to keep it fresh looking, but there has been substantial changes in the actual makeup of the product because we constantly improve the type of iron we use, the type of steel we use on our dumbbells, the type of urethane that we use. We blend our own urethane now. We don't buy it from outside sources. We have our own urethane lab. And so we're able to tweak the composition to improve the tear strength, change the odor if we need to, improve the setup time, the durability, things like that. So there has been changes. There are continual changes. We'll continue to change it. But the changes are a lot more subtle than you might see in other companies like a treadmill company where you can slap a new console on the top of the same deck and frame. And because it's got iPhone connectivity or something different, it might be appear to be a substantially different product. We don't have that available to us, so we make changes in other areas and typically durability areas. And it's been important because the usage of our product has spread well beyond health clubs to the military, which is our largest single customer, and to athletic programs, which are the biggest, heaviest used customers that we have, and uh, we dominate both those markets, and it's because we've continued to improve the product every year and focus especially on improvements in durability and longevity. Well, it sounds like you haven't had to change the product all that much, but you've been able to keep the um, the brand and the image current, which is great. So in your case, this uh, idea of consistency and continuity equals clarity and, and or trust, and, and also it sounds like that uh, your target audience, whether it's the national gyms or the military, they trust that you're going to deliver uh, a quality product on time with the right type of product innovation. That sounds like it's really been, if there is one secret to your success, uh, uh, quite a bit of it. Is there anything else you'd like to share? We're almost out of time, and just want to ask you for your any final thoughts or insights to share with our listeners. No, I, I think I think you, you've asked the right questions here. Really, for us, you know, it was a combination of of choosing to make it here in the United States, which really set us apart, choosing a radical design, which really set us apart, and, and like I said, became the initial an early viral event. But then, you know, looking at our brand, looking at what we had, developing a brand image and staying true to it and being consistent, which imputes a certain level of reliability to our customers. Our customers are much more supply chain oriented now than they used to be. They want the right source. Uh, most of our customers are large. The industry has changed substantially since we started, and there's a lot of acquisitions. A lot of actions have been happening in the last couple of years, and, and and as that happens, people are going to need larger, more dependable sourcing to help them grow. And that's kind of been where we've been. So we've noted this trend, and we've that's been our, our, our consistent message. And it's, it's backed up by making product in the United States and making consistent product. And so I think that's where the industry is going, and that's where we're going to continue to head. Perfect. Well, thank you, Michael. Many more years of continued success. That concludes our show for today. This is Ryan Rikus, and you've been listening to another edition of Expert Opinion, a brand new business forum where thought leaders share their point of view. If you'd like to listen to past shows or read our blog series, visit brandingbusiness.com. Until our next show, grow your business by living your brand promise.